The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Running a business with um, deep respect and fun as a, as a value actually leads to a successful business and a better life. Welcome to the Mentor TV podcast and stay curious with Patricia Falco-Beccali. Welcome back to another edition of COVID-19 from Crisis to Creation here on Mentory TV. I'm Patricia Falco-Beccali, your host. Do you remember what you did during the locker period? Did you spend hours on end on Netflix or did you compile a photo album online? Did you spend uh, time dinner partying on Zoom or Skype? Or perhaps, I don't know, you ate, you cooked, You ate again, you cooked again, or perhaps you just thought, hmm, why don't we turn to literature, open up a book, settle down and read. I can tell you, I certainly did that. And I came across a most wonderful book called Perfectly Paired, The Love Affair Behind Silver Oaks by Bonnie Meyer. Now, it's not any kind of book. It is special. Otherwise, I wouldn't want to have Bonnie on the show. For me, I would call it an all-in-one book. You read it, you get a memoir, you get a love story, you get a business story, you get a family in terms of happiness, but also in terms of tragedy and grief, all in one. But what really struck me about this book was it is loving, it is very intimate, and it is generous and caring, and in, in so many ways mentoring, and this is what I thought, it is just brightly placed here on Mentory TV. So together with myself, let's welcome Bonnie Meyer to the show. Bonnie, thank you so much for being with us here on Mentory TV. It is a real pleasure to be here with you today. <laughs> Bonnie, listen, before we talk about these awesome lines you wrote, let me update a little bit everybody here who you are. You are um, not only an author, that actually came later in life. You're really a businesswoman. You started Silver Oak Wineries with your late husband, Justin, in California, in Napa Valley, really producing very renowned wines, the uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, at a time when it wasn't even on the map yet. You built a business, you branded it internationally, made it grow and made it a very big success. Then in 2001, you sold the business and you became more and more a businesswoman looking into sustainable businesses and investing into it. So that is really a fraction of what you are all about. But I thought these were some key cornerstones about you I wanted to share with our viewers. Bonnie, the first thing when I started reading your book was um, it started for me with a bang. And the bang was you know, the loss of you, of the love of your life, Justin. And I just thought, oh my God, this is a tragic book. I don't know during the lockdown, do I really, do I really want to read another tragedy? <laughs> But then of course, uh, it developed in a different way. But tell me, why did you, why did you start with that? I started it, you know, we all, we all have moments 
in our life that change everything. You've had those moments. Uh, uh, you, uh, we all have those moments. And it was the moment in my life. And so I, uh, when one moment I was um, with, with Justin, we had just had a picnic. Um, we were in the mountains with friends. And the next moment he was lying on the ground, um, dying and then dead. So um, it, and then I went, yeah, everything about my life shifted dramatically. You know, it's like the earth, my world shifted on its axis. And so that's why I begin with uh, that describing um, the, how, the moment of his death. And was it also the moment when, when in, in perhaps after that deep grief you must have gone through, and we're going to talk about a little later, that kind of then also triggered that all of this, what you had with Justin, needed to come out and be put in a book? <laughs> Actually, no. The, the reason I wrote the book is um, for many years, people had asked me to tell the story of our great, um, extraordinary love affair. Even before, you know, way before uh, Justin died, people wanted to know uh, the details of how we met and how he ended up leaving the monastery. He was a, he was a, a monk when, I, uh, when we first knew each other. And they wanted to know that story. And that story I didn't necessarily want to tell. Uh, you know, it's just my personal story. And then I realized after um, so much had happened um, and my grief process and my growth process as a result of that, that I could use that story. I could, I could tell that my love story, which everyone wanted to hear, And it would, it could give me an, in a way that it would give me the opportunity to uh, talk about things I cared about, you yeah. know, about creating a beautiful business, creating a beautiful love affair um, and uh, things that people long for, but don't seem to be able to find. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. This is, this is what, what I, I got the sense, you know, in, in chapter three, you really kind of, deep dive in into that love with with justin and and um of course it's curious you go like okay it's a monk and there's this wonderful woman he she sweeps him off his feet and then he leaves the monastery but i don't think that that, that, that was necessarily the case because i think you were friends before um he then made that decision uh, and he might have had some issues with the church the institution itself He, he needed, um, yes, he had made vows, and he needed to get permission from the Pope, actually, to, to leave. Wow. Um, uh, and, uh, but, yeah, I think one of the keys to our, to our extraordinary relationship, which I actually would love for it to be an ordinary relationship in the sense that I would, my, my hope is that, that people will find their way there by reading this book or get some clues. You know, it's like a treasure map, get some clues. Um, but that is my wish for everyone because we all are capable and we all deserve a great relationship. But one of the, uh, in retrospect, I think um, one of the things that helped create that was when I was young, I actually, in my teenage years, I spent a lot of time contemplating the nature of love. 
and really opening to what that really meant and what it really was. And uh, when I met Justin at uh, just turned 18, we had an immediate friendship because of music. We were both folk singers and uh, we had a great time doing that. But we also, we both had a deep willingness to be in relationship with each other without um, any attachment. You know, it was so clear that he was not available. And I, um, I was so, he was dedicated to being, continuing to be a monk. I was dedicated to the idea that, that um, I was never going to do or say anything that would encourage him to leave. And so there was this non-attachment, which I, which I uh, know, understand better now as a deep spiritual concept that, that allows us to have these great relationships um, with, between each other, but also in relationship to our business and, and how we live our life. Yeah, yeah. Be, be of it, but be not, be not kind of dominated by it. this detachment. It gives, gives you a sense of calm. But you were saying that you were contemplating about love at a young age. Did you find what you were comp- contemplating? First of all, how, how did you define as, you know, 17-year-old woman, 18-year-old woman, love? And how did that actually then fall into, into what you found with Justin? I... Um I spent some time reading some spiritual books um, and the, the quote that really struck me when I was, when I was like 16 was uh, Teilhard de Chardin and uh, saying that love was the most powerful force in the universe. And so that's how I began to relate to love as a powerful force um, in and of itself. And one that actually I could tap into with, again, within myself. The other little saying that, that struck me was that it's a little rhyme. It's like, where there is no love, so love, and there will grow love. In other words, we don't wait for what love to come to us. It's from, it's from me out to you, and then yeah. it will ignite love in others. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting one. So it comes from you. You just not stand there and expect, okay, somebody's going to love me. But, you know, when you give, you will receive. Well, yeah. You know, I had a, had a, a friend a while back say, you know, I'm just looking for somebody who's going to love me and really see who I am. And, and I said, well, um, how about looking for somebody to love? How about, how about how about looking for who you love and look in and really looking to understand them yeah yeah this is a very good one perhaps you meant like i look for somebody to protect me something that you also felt very strongly about that justin was always there to protect you and and it's somehow you know that love that initial love that developed very much into him being the reason for being in one of your chapters, you, you, you go into that quite deeply. My, yes, I, I realized after his death, actually, that he had been, become my reason for, for being. And so it was that that, that was a powerful um, realization and, and feeling within me that was led to very deep grief, like, 
wow, you know, he was my reason for being, what do I have left? And, um, uh, I had a lot of feelings after his death that, um, I wanted to, I wanted to be with him. You know, I didn't want to, I, you know, wasn't contemplating suicide, but I wanted to be where he was. And, and um, so I uh, even imagined myself kind of floating up to the higher realms, which, which I ended up learning how to do, but that's another story. Um, and I realized I needed another reason for, for being. And, and, um, and it came initially through my children. Yeah. You know, they had just lost their dad. I had just um, been diagnosed with uh, cancer and had just, um, was just barely recovering from some major surgery. And so they were scared. And they, um, they looked at me with these really scared eyes and, you know, that said, uh, we just lost our dad. We don't want to lose you too. And so... Um, pulling myself up and gathering my strength and healing um, both physically and emotionally um, for them became my, my first goal. Yes, and it was a choice. It was an active choice because in deep grief, after I can imagine after loving so deeply for so long, of course, all you want to do is, as you were saying, just follow the beloved one but, and not think about the rest. But that was a choice. And I think I remember um, reading about you where you said happiness is actually a choice. It's not something that, that happens to you, but it's an attitude. Absolutely. Happiness is a way of being. And, and I can choose to be happy or joyful no matter what the circumstances. And I learned that a long time ago, actually, from um, oh, Victor Frankl, who, yeah, uh, who was in a concentration camp and yes. wrote about, about um, our power of choice is um, the, the one thing that we have when everything else has been taken away. Yeah, and and attitude, the power of attitude is so 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 um, incredible. It's it's uh, it's incredible. I spoke to Phil Goldberg yesterday about spirituality or spiritual teachings in 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 crazy times, and we talked about Frankel there too. And it reminded me very much what Frankel described. Do you remember the film Life Is Beautiful with Roberto Benigni, and it was in the concentration camp? You know, yes. and that really reminded me of that film where where he was you know, showing his son that there was actually, this was all, you know, a big setup. It was a different world. It was exciting. It was, it was not a concentration camp. And uh, that was so reflective of it. And it was his choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, let's stay a minute, if we may, with that grief. And I, I came across a passage of your book, which made me cry, I have to say. And I thought, why, why it um, resonated with me that much, Bonnie, was simply because I thought, gee, <laughs> this lady is, is doing what we all may be thinking, but which almost is unorthodox to do. And I, I um, would like to share it with, with the audience because it gives a real sense of the deep love you had, the attachment, the grief you must have gone through and the pain and uh, maybe also the process of then letting go and refocusing your life. Let me just see whether I am able to do this, share. 
So for oh, that is not the one. <laughs> that it is. There you go. So first of all, that is your book. This is the gentleman we talk about, Justin. And uh, this is the quote. It's a bit long, so bear with me, but it really is worth it. And I'm going to read it out loud. And I had to crop it a bit simply because first I needed to get it on the screenshot, but I wanted to really focus on this very intimate moment you spent. So this was basically when you were given the urn um, of Justin. And you take it and then it starts, I go inside the house and take a large oversized brandy um, snifter of the wine glass rack. My mind is burning with the image of Justin consumed by flame. Even my skin feels hot. I hold my breath as I slowly open the cardboard box. There he is, beach sand, dusty gray beach sand. I exhale and pour Justin into the snifter. I take the snifter in both hands and lift it with, with the same reverence as wine is raised in church at Mass. A few moments later, I am at the massive redwood door to, to the wine cave. I place the snifter on the table close to me. My beloved and I have been reunited. We are alone together in the near dark as we were for those thousands of nights. The moment has come. I remove my clothes. Naked, I dip my hands into the snifter and feel him there. Feel what remains of his physical body, his grainy consistency somewhere between sand and dust. I am holding him again, feeling him in my hands, my senses, my soul. It is not enough. I lift bits of him out of the glass and feel his weight in my hands. Now I slowly begin to rub him onto my chest, then my arms and onto my thighs. I mean, I get goosebumps, Bonnie, honestly. This is, this is amazing, and I can so imagine this, this scene happening. Uh, I find it very, very beautiful, and it is something that not everybody has the, the courage to share. Why, why did you? <laughs> okay, so you reading it has brought tears to my eyes, too. Um, the reason that I, rem I remember my, my secretary who read the manuscript a number of times um, said, are you sure you want to include this? And, and uh, my immediate answer was yes. The book, I am not by nature, um, I, by nature I am actually a pretty private person. And so the intimacy of this book in general and the intimacy of that describing that scene in particular is um, a gift. And it's, it's a gift by way of inviting um, the reader to be to that level of intimacy with themselves and permission you know, put an invitation and permission yeah. to, um, if I'm going to show the way to uh, a deeper relationship, then I have to be that. Yes. 
Yeah, <laughs> and it's beautiful. It's it's so it's so beautiful. I, I I think this is what we all feel. I think when we are lucky enough to find the love that you have to just say you know eternalize it somehow again and and uh, and uh, rejoin rejoice in rejoining. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> cheers. <away. laughs> Next chapter. <laughs> because I said in my intro, Bonnie, that what I loved about this book, it's an all-in-one. So we have these moments where you go like, oh, and you wipe your tears off. And the next thing is you're going to be start laughing and you, you feel that you're <laughs> there, okay? And you feel like the businesswoman is back, you know? And so let's turn the page, literally. Uh, chapter 6, 12, 14, just to mention a few, you go a little bit deeper into building Silver Oaks as a business, something you started really from scratch with with Justin right at the beginning, right when you when you got married, and I wondered, did you ever imagine it would be as successful as it became, and really put the Californian um, Cabernet Sauvignon on an international map? No, <laughs> in a word, <laughs> no. Justin and I. You know, because, again, because he had, um, <laughs> I used to tell him I would never would have married him if he had, hadn't been a monk for 15 years. It really, it really softened him as a personality and a character. But, um, you know, he had deep values and was so clear about them. And I did, too. And we shared that. And our whole goal with Silver Oak was to produce beautiful wines and to live by our, our values of, you know, generosity and deep respect and um, integrity, honesty, all of those things. And just, and fun. One of our big value, important values in in our work together was fun. And, and, um, and so our whole goal was to make beautiful wine and, and, and live a very good life doing it. Um, and, uh, that, that was it. And so our goal was never success actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, um, but I, and it really, the success grew out of, I believe these things. And, and I, and I also believe that there was a magic, magical component. You know, wine is, is something that, uh, uh, is alchemical and, and has an energy in and of itself. And I, I believe that our love for each other really infused our wine and our dedication to just making beautiful Cabernets uh, inspired people and attracted them mm-hmm. uh, to our wines. And so more and more people were wanting to, to uh, yeah, just show up and buy more wine. So we just followed, followed them, you know. I think it's wonderful what you say is to, to base the entire business of core value that you shared with Justin, you know, and you say in vino veritas, but maybe it's in veritas vino and you kind of like <laughs> turn it around and, and that energy transpired and, and made the, the brand the one it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting one. Now, you know, ups and downs, what was it like? <laughs> Fun, generosity, love, 
great values, but business is business. Somehow you have to, you know, do the farming. You have you have to get the, the people going. Um, what were the, the highlights, but most importantly, what were the, you know, the, the tricky situations you overcame? One of the trickiest situations in the wine business is not, even though in California we tell everyone that all vintages are great, it's not really true. <laughs> and, and the wine press will decide a particular vintage is not as good as maybe the next one that's coming up. And with Silver Oak, we sold our wines when they were about five years old. Mm -hmm. And so everyone already knew you know, that this, our next vintage would, is, doesn't in general get as high a rating as, and uh, so there was some resistance to um, buying that vintage and wanting, just wanting to wait till the next one. Um, how we overcame that usually was just get people to taste them because, mm -hmm. you know, a general vintage maybe isn't great, but uh, a great winemaker can um, bring out the best in every vintage it's like you know it's winemaking in that respect is like uh, parenting our children are each unique and our job is to bring out the best in them talking about values and growing a business now you sold silver oaks back in 2001 and your son matt and your daughter-in-law karen they opened i think another cellar the the mayor family cellars and yes. I wonder, how did you teach your children, especially Matt, that he seems to be in the business, to keep the DNA of, of the wine tradition, especially the family business wine tradition, yet stay with the times? Was that a hard sell? Is that difficult or is that not an issue at all? You know, at our, at our table, at our dining room table, we would always offer our kids wine for dinner. And sometimes they would have some, you know, if there was a particular wine that we were drinking that was interesting, you know, they'd have a little bit of that. So they grew up with wine and they grew up with the idea that wine is food and it's part of a meal. And so it's, um, it should be elegant and well-balanced instead of a monster. And some, some of these monster wines get a lot of press, um, even today, wines that I don't find pleasant to drink, but they, you know, they bowl people over and they're, the alcohol is really high and they're really uh, very plummy in their flavor, but they don't pair it all that well with food. So Matt has really kept to that tradition of, of uh, making um, uh, elegant wines, but what he didn't do, uh, the first time... You know, Justin used to say, the first obligation of every wine is to be read. And <laughs> the first obligation of every wine is to be read. And, and then one day, uh, Matt, Matt hands me a, a new bottle. He, he likes to announce when he's making something new, he just hands the bottle to me. It's already been done. And um, he handed me a bottle of rosé, and I go, What? What do you mean? You're making rosé? This isn't red wine. What are you doing? <laughs> and, and, then, and then later on, it was, there was Chardonnay. And then after that, that, now he makes a Sauvignon Blanc, which I actually really love, you know. So, okay. so Matt has broken with, broken with the tradition of focusing on 
on one red or two wine. lines. Ben was losing a little he's making a, asking, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's making a wide, he and Karen are making a wide variety of wines. But it's and, not. Uh, but they're, lo- you know. Sorry, go ahead. They're loving it, you know. They're, yeah, no, they just, they, they, they love the creativity of it. And so every year or two, they, they decide, well, I think we'll make some Pinot Noir. Well, I think we'll make so. Well, that, that's wonderful yeah. because this is one of the values we were mentioning before, the fun part, because they're experimenting and they say, hey, let's go for it. If it's crap, well, you know, the next drain is just down the road. So what, uh, what the heck, basically. No, that's uh, so, super, super interesting. And then um, now, Bonnie, uh, you're focusing more and more in, in sustainable, uh, on sustainable investments, sustainable businesses, and you support them also financially. Tell us a little bit about what, what you actually do on a you know, day-to-day basis. You're a principal of the Mayer Family Enterprises. What do you do? So, um, first of all, after Justin's death, I became, you know, we had sold, we had sold Silver Oak and had a, um, had a lot of money in the bank and needed to do something with it. And we had just begun to think about what we were going to do when he died. So I became, I, the way I think about it, I became an accidental investor. It's not something I um, had been longing to do. Mm-hmm. I realized I was more excited by the money I was giving away philanthropically and those people than I was with the things I was invested in. So after two years, about 2004, I decided I wanted to invest in companies that were actually solving uh, an environmental, economic, or social problem. Mm -hmm. And so that is what I invest in today. And today they call it, um, today they call it regenerative investing. Yeah. In investing in a, in, a, in a company that through their business, they actually make the world better. They regenerate the land or society, something they're making something better. And over time, my passion for that has really just grown. Yeah. And I, I, I understand now more than ever that, that we can't as, as a world, as a, as a larger society, cannot keep doing business as usual because it's just been destructive. Yep. And it has it is hurt, hurt the land and it's hurt people. Bonnie, before we wrap up, main learnings, I ask that all of my guests, if you look back at your, uh, at your awesome life, be it on the private, the family sector, be it as a businesswoman, what would you share with, with all of us are the main learnings you would really want us to take away from, from your life? You know, we've, we've talked about a, a number of them, that, that happiness and joy are a choice, and love is a state of being. The one thing I haven't mentioned is actually the power of vulnerability and, and the power of surrender. Uh, and those, yeah, those, those things are, uh, can, can really, can really, using the word power again, but can really power a, a good life. Yes, empower. Uh, yeah. And and 
And um, actually, one thing we haven't, I was talking with somebody yesterday about the, the, the uh, next normal, you know, because your show is based on, on really spawned by, by our shared COVID-19 experience. Um, I would encourage everyone to really focus on what is my next normal and what do I want my life and my community to look like? How do I want them to function? Because this is a, every loss is a great opportunity uh, to, to create something new and create something that's better than it was before. And consciously so. And consciously yes. so. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. Bonnie, I'm going to leave this conversation, leave, leave uh, also our viewers with uh, another screen share, another quote from your book, if I may. And um, it's this one. I just have to move over one more, which was basically in your afterthoughts. Uh, I wish you exquisite passion and the courage to hold it. I wish for you the experience of loving someone so much you are burned until you are no longer recognizable, emerging as a burnished spirit, bright with inextinguishable inner light. And I wish that too, <laughs> to anyone. <laughs> Thank you so much for wishing that to all of us, Bonnie. Um, really, your, your book is, uh, has moved me deeply. I think it's so valuable. It really is. It is a is one of those reads that goes, you know, takes you through all of the waves of emotion like a good story should. Big difference is it's no fiction. <laughs> <laughs> it is real life. And, uh, you know, credit where credit is due. You, you are a very, very lucky woman. And thank you so much mm -hmm. for sharing your story with us here on Mentor TV, Bonnie. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And thank you, my dear Mentory TV community. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bonnie Meyer. If you can get this book, Perfectly Paired, The Love Story Behind the Silver Oak Sellers, it is one of a kind, an all-in-one book. And I hope to see you soon again here on Mentory TV. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.